ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so last time then we were discussing the compilation of the sunnah and how it occurred in the second century of Islam. Today we're going to look at what happened in the third century of Islam. Al-Babu Thalith At-Tadweenu Fil-Qarn Thalith Al-Hijri The compilation and how it occurred during the third century of the Hijra. يعتبر هذا القرن عصر ازدهار العلوم الإسلامية عامة وعلوم السنة النبوية خاصة بل يعد هذا القرن من أزهى عصور السنة النبوية The third century of Islam the third century in the Hijra, it is considered as one of the most, um, one of the times where the greatest amount of work and fruition to the compilation of books occurred. Where the greatest amount of those important writings and compilations occurred within. Generally on all Islamic fields, but particularly upon the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So it is considered as one of the most blossoming times for the compilation of the sunnah, the third century. إذ نشطت فيه الرحلة لطلب العلم ونشط فيه التأليف في علم الرجال because during that time is where traveling for knowledge really spread out and they began to do that with a lot more striving traveling out to the mashayikh traveling out to the scholars to gain knowledge to write down those hadith to gain those chains of narration, it began to occur with a lot of earnestness, seriousness, and spread during this century. And also, the writing of books, compiling and writing books, became a lot more in this century too, compared to the second century. There was a lot more writing that occurred, in this book, a lot more of those compilations of books during this century. وَتُوَسِّعَ فِي تَدْوِينِ الْحَدِيثِ فَظَهَرَتْ كُتُبُ الْمَسَانِيدِ وَالْكُتُبُ السِّتَّةِ الصِّحَاحِ وَالسُّنَنِ الَّتِي اعْتَمَدَتْهَا الْأُمَّةِ وَاعْتَبَرَتْهَا دَوَاوِينُ الْإِسْلَامِ And it was during this time when different types of books emerged. From them, the famous six books, 
the famous Al-Kutubu Sitta, then they are from this century, Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Al-Nasai, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, then they were all from this third century. وَقَدْ بَرَزَ فِي هَذَا الْعَصْرِ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ الْحُفَّاظِ وَالنُقَّادِ وَالْعُلَمَاءِ الْجَهَابِذَةِ And during this third century, many of the great scholars lived. Many of the great senior scholars, they lived during this century. The likes of Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Because Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was born in 164 Hijri. And he died in 241 Hijri. He died in the 3rd century. Also the likes of Ishaq ibn Rahoya, the Shaykh of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. Also Al-Imam Al-Bukhari himself. And also Ali ibn Al-Madini. And Yahya ibn Ma'in. And Muhammad ibn Muslim. And Al-Imam Muslim himself, and Abu Zur'a, Abu Hatim, Al-Raziyan, and there were several others also from this time. So it was a time where great scholars they lived, a time where a lot of focus went into writing books now, a lot more than the second century. A time where traveling for knowledge and gaining that knowledge and chains of narration, it became a lot more serious and done uh, in terms of how often and how many were doing it. كَمَا ظَهَرَ عَلَىٰ أَيْدِي هَؤُلَاءِ الْجَهَابِذَةِ الْأَعْلَامِ نَوْعٌ جَدِيدٌ مِنَ التَّأْلِيفِ وَهُوَ مَا عُرِفَ بِكُتُبِ الْعَقِيدَةِ During this century, a new type of book began to be written. That new type of book that began to be written by different scholars was books on the topic of aqidah. Because before that, the books were a collection of ahadith, collection of the sunnah. But now they were focusing and specifying books on aqidah. So that is something which emerged during this time. They began to specify books on aqidah. وَكَانَ التَّأْلِيفِ فِي ذَلِكَ عَلَى And these books on aqidah, they were written in two types. There were two types of them. الأول ما جمع فيه مؤلفوه النصوص الواردة في العقيدة من الكتاب والسنة مع بيان منهج السلف من الصحابة والتابعين في فهم هذه النصوص وموقفهم من أصحاب الأهواء وكان أغلب هذا النوع بعنوان السنة مثل السنة لأحمد بن حنبل والسنة لابنه عبد الله والسنة لأبي نصر المروزي وغيرها one type of the authorship in books of Aqidah at this time was whereby the authors would gather the various texts regarding Aqidah, the various different texts from the ayat of the Qur'an, from the sunnah of the Prophet 
that were all on the topic of aqidah, they would put them all together, and they would mention with that a clarification from the salaf, from the sahaba, from the tabi'een, in their understanding of those evidences. So they would collect the evidences, ayat and hadith about aqidah. Then they would add on as well the statements and the understanding of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een upon those evidences. And they would mention their position against the people of innovation and desires. And the majority of those books written in that style were titled as Sunnah. You get many books, they are called just simply the book of Sunnah, as Sunnah. So there is a book known as As-Sunnah by Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. There is a book known as As-Sunnah by the son of Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Abdullah. There is another one known as As-Sunnah by Al-Imam Al-Mirwazi. So there are many in fact that were just known as As-Sunnah. And in that they were books of Aqeedah collecting the various narrations from the sunnah, the ayat of the Qur'an, with the understanding of the salaf being shown, and their position against the people of innovation in these books of aqidah, that were typically known as sunnah, as sunnah. The second type of book that was written, the second method of writing books in aqidah at that time, in the third century, مَا سَلَكَ فِيهِ مُؤَلِّفُوهُ مَسْلَكَ الرَّدْ عَلَى الْمُبْتَدِعَ أَصْحَاب الْأَهْوَاءِ وَذَلِكَ لِهَتْكْ أَسْتَارِهِمْ وَفَضْحْ أَسْرَارِهِمْ وَتَحْذِيرِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ مِنْهُمْ وَبَيَانِ خَطَرِهِمْ عَلَى الْأُمَّةِ The second method of writing the books of Aqeedah at the time was to focus them in refutation upon the people of innovation who were upon incorrect aqidah. So they would, in those books, gather the evidences, etc., in refutation of the people of innovation and desires. It may be in refutation of a particular group of them upon a particular way, uh, maybe upon some other group of them. But they used to collect those narrations, put them into these books of Aqeedah that were focused on dismantling and refuting the people of innovation and their false Aqeedah. So that was the second method by which they did that. So the two methods were the first that they gathered all of the texts, the ayat, the ahadith, explaining the correct Aqeedah. And they were known as the books of As-Sunnah very often. The second method wasn't just clarifying and explaining the Aqeedah, but it was more focused on putting those evidences together in refutation of the false beliefs of the people of innovation, in refutation of them directly. So that type of thing was occurring from the 3rd century. Now people, they say, you lot... You people, you're always refuting these people and refuting those people and saying they're wrong and they're wrong. But this is the religion. And the religion is only one. 
the Salaf, they wrote books from the third century, refuting the people of innovation, because those people of innovation were propagating a false aqidah. They were teaching the people an incorrect aqidah. So from those days they began writing refutations upon them. These books of aqidah that were focused on dismantling those incorrect beliefs and the false aqaid of those innovators. And there are examples, particularly at the time, حيث بلغ نشاط المعتزلة والجهمية ذروته يتبني الدولة العباسية في عصر كل من المأمون والمعتصم والواثق لآرائهم وعقائدهم So during that time, the Mu'tazila, which were a particular group from the groups of deviation, they had deviations in various aspects of Aqidah. Same with the Jahmiyyah, had deviations in various aspects of Aqidah, in the names and attributes of Allah, etc. And we discussed a lot of those points in the explanation of At-Tahawiyyah previously. So these types of groups, Al-Mu'tazila, Al-Jahmiyyah, they were around in those days. And in fact, they had an influence on the leadership of the time. The authorities who were in charge at the time, the leaders who were in charge at the time, the groups like the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiyyah, had an influence upon those leaders. And so these false beliefs were trickling down upon the people from the top in terms of the leadership of those areas. لذلك حظيت هذه الفرق بالنصيب الأكبر من هذه الردود. And that's why the likes of the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah, they received the largest number of writings and refutations against them. من ذلك, from amongst them, is a book by Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Al-Rad ala al-Jahmiyyah. Very simply called, The Refutation upon the Jahmiyyah. The Rebuke, Rebuttal, Refutation upon the Jahmiyyah. By Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And also by Al-Imam Ad-Darimi. Similarly to, he had Al-Rad Unam. There was by Al-Imam Ad-Darimi, Al-Rad ala Bishr al-Mirrisi al-Mu'tazili. He wrote a refutation upon Bishr al-Mirrisi al-Mu'tazili. Wrote a refutation upon him and his false beliefs and his false aqidah. Similarly, Al-Imam al-Bukhari wrote a book in aqidah in refutation of the false beliefs of the people of innovation in their deviated aqidah. And that is one example, Khalq Af'al al-Ibad. Khalq Af'al al-Ibad by Al-Imam al-Bukhari is a book in aqidah refuting the false beliefs of the people of innovation. So the big imams of that time, the great imams of that time were writing these books in aqidah. Either the first type where it was a compilation of the evidences highlighting the correct aqidah, or the second type where it was uh, under the purpose of refuting and rebuking those false uh, people of innovation, their false aqidah. وَكَمَا كَانَ لِأَتْبَاعِ التَّابِعِينَ فِي الْقَرْنِ الثَّانِ جُهُودَ رَائِدَةً وَعَظِيمَةً 
في خدمة السنة تدوينا وذب الكذب عنها وحمايتها من كل ما يشوبها جرحا وتعديلا كذلك كان لهذا الجيل في القرن الثالث جهود جبارة وكبيرة في سبيل خدمة السنة وقمع ما يخالفها من الأهواء والبدع So just like in the second century how the imams of the second century had put a lot of effort in in preserving the sunnah, in defending the sunnah, in beginning those compilations upon chapters. They put a lot of effort in during that century. Similarly now in the third century, the imams of this century also put a huge amount of effort into the defense of the sunnah, the preservation of the sunnah, in rebuking the false beliefs of those innovators. A great deal was put in uh, from the efforts during the second century and the third century similarly. وَلَقَدْ تُوِّجَتْ تِلْكَ الْجُهُودِ فِي خِدْمَةِ السُنَّةِ بِتِلْكَ الْمُؤَلَّفَاتِ الْمُخْتَلِفَةِ مِنْ كُتُبِ الْمُتُونِ مَسَانِيدِ وَصِحَاحِ وَسُنَنِ وكتب الرجال المتنوعة في موضوعاتها ومجالاتها إلى كتب العقيدة التي كثرت في هذا القرن. So those efforts of theirs in defense of the sunnah, in serving the sunnah, they were within those great books, multiple different types of books that they wrote. They were within them. The defense of the sunnah, writing multiple different books, different types, from the masanid and the sihah and the sunan, which we'll discuss in more detail later, and the books regarding the narrators that we spoke about before, biographies of narrators, so it could be identified who is trustworthy and who is not trustworthy, which chains of narration are okay, which ones are not. A lot of effort went into all of that. And many books of Aqeedah were written in that third century. كَمَا تُوِّجَتْ تِلْكَ الْجُهُودِ أَيْضًا فِي مَجَالْ قَمْعِ الْأَهْوَاءِ وَالْبِدَعِ وَمُحَارَبَةِ أَصْحَابِهَا وَكَشْفِ أَسْرَارِهِمْ وَتَحْذِيرِ الْأُمَّةِ مِنْ شَرِّهِمْ بِتِلْكَ الْوَقْفَةِ الشَّامِخَةِ مِنْ إِمَامِ أَهْلِ السُنَّةِ الصِّدِّيق الثَّانِي أَبِي عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَحْمَدِ بْنِ حَمْبَلٍ في وجوه أهل التجهم والاعتزال الذين والذين جمعوا عليه وألبوا فخرج رحمه الله رحمه رحمه الله منتصرا مؤيدا من الله عز وجل وقمعت بإذن الله البدع ونكص أصحابها على أعقابهم مدحورين. Also in terms of the defense of the sunnah and the rebuke of the people of desires and innovation and exposing their hidden secrets, exposing the types of beliefs that they were wanting to push amongst the people. Then one of the great examples of that time, one of the great uh, incidents that occurred at that time, is the example of what 
as it mentions the Imam of Ahlus Sunnah, the truthful one, the second truthful one, as Siddiq is normally Abu Bakr as Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. But then they say after him, there is Ahmed ibn Hanbal as Siddiq. Because of the position that he took against the people of innovation during his time, in front of, in the face of the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila, in regards to their beliefs regarding the Qur'an, and that they were pushing the belief that the Qur'an is created. And so Imam Ahmad, he took a strong position against that, a strong position, and he was aided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the sunnah, it uh, superseded uh, over that in the end. So that is some of what summarizes the things that occurred during the 3rd century. وَقَدْ تَمَيَّزَ التَّدْوِينُ فِي هَذَا الْقَرْنَ بِمَا يَلِي And the writings of this time, the writings of this time, they are distinguished in certain points. There are certain points that distinguish the writings and the books and the compilations that occurred during the 3rd century. What are they? Firstly, Tajreed Ahadith Rasulillah or Tajreed Ahadith Rasulillah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wa Tamyeezihah an ghayriha. Ba'da an kanat qad duwinat fil qarni al-thani mamzuja bi aqwal al-sahaba wa fatawa al-tabi'in. You remember we said in the second century when they began compiling hadith into books and chapters, they would put the hadith into those books, but they would also add on the statements of the, the salaf, the companions and the fatawa of the tabi'een. And all of that was just laid out in the book. It wasn't specified and distinguished that this is the Sahaba statements, and this is the Tabi'een statements, and these are the Hadith. They weren't organized and split and arranged like that. They were simply all just written out, the Hadith, the statement of the companion, the Fatwa of the Tabi'een. It was all written out without distinct sections for each. In the third century though, when they began writing their books here, they distinguished everything clearly. The ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the statements of the Sahaba, the statements of the Tabi'een, it was all structured <coughs> and separated a lot more and better, whereas previously it was all mixed and just written together in those books. Secondly, another thing which distinguishes the, the books of this time of the 3rd century, that they focused on highlighting and mentioning the status of a given hadith, of any hadith that they wrote and they mentioned, they would give importance to highlighting the status of that narration. Is that an authentic narration? Is it a weak narration? Has it got some other issue in this narration? They would focus on giving details about the authenticity and the level and the grade of narrations. 
They began giving those details in the books too. Thirdly, تَنَوْعَ الْمُصَنَّفَاتِ فِي تَدْوِينِ السُنَّةِ that in the third century, the books that were being written became a lot more varied. There were a lot more, uh, a lot more variety in the types of books and the topics and the themes and the, and the styles of writing and how they were compiled. There was a lot more variety coming into, as they say, the Islamic library. There was a lot more variation. Uh, and those types of books, the variations of them, we're going to come to them later on. Briefly though, there were books that are known as the Masanid. The Masanid. Al-Masanid. Al-Lati ta'ni bi jami'i ahadithi kulli sahabi ala hida ka musnadalima Muhammad wa ghayri. The books of Masanid Al-Masanid, which means the chains of narration basically. Some of the scholars at that time, they used to write books based upon or revolving around chains of narration. Meaning, they would have this large book and there would be a chapter of Abu Huraira. And all of the chains of narration that end up at Abu Huraira, they would be in that chapter. Then they might have a chapter of Anas ibn Malik. And all of the narrations going to him in that chapter. So they would have chapters based upon chains of narration and where they go. And which person they go to. So then everyone, every companion would have a chapter with all of the ahadith that are narrated through him. And then another companion, all of the ahadith narrated through him. So they were... Books of chains of narration, the Masanid, per companion, all of the chains leading to him. That was one way they used to put together hadith in the books. Another way, Kutub as-Sihah was Sunan, the books of authentic hadith only, and the books of the Sunnah that gathered the Sunnah. Of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-lati ta'ni bitasnifi ahadithi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala al-kutub wal-abwaq. Ma'al inayah bibayani sahih min ghayrih kal-kutub al-sittah wa ghayriha. These types of books, the second category now, where it was a compilation of the sunnah. And they would compile the sunnah upon chapters. Typically, Chapter of purification, chapter of prayer, chapter of zakat, chapter of fasting, chapter of hajj. And under each chapter, they would put all of the hadith relevant to that chapter. All of the hadith about purification in the chapter or the book of purification. All of the hadith about the prayer under the book of prayer. So they would categorize and organize their books in that way. That is one typical method. And there may have been some other methods of categorization also. Uh, And in these types of books, they would often try to highlight whether the narrations are authentic, or if there is some issue in any of them, they would highlight that in those books. Of course, the likes of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, they intended purely and only to have authentic narrations, nothing else. 
Whereas Abu Dawood ibn Majah and Nasa'i al-Tirmidhi, there are some narrations in them that are not authentic. There are some narrations in them that are a bit weak. But you have to remember Abu Dawood and Nasa'i al-Tirmidhi ibn Majah, rahimahumullah, their objective wasn't the same objective as al-Bukhari and Muslim. The objective of al-Bukhari and Muslim was to purely mention only Sahih Hadith. The objective of the four, Abu Dawud ibn Majah, Tirmidhi, Nisa'i, wasn't that objective. Their objective was to highlight the sunnah that has been narrated and to highlight to a degree the evidences that were being used by people for their opinions. So now, for example, certain people may have had an opinion, because now by this time, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, the Madahib, the scholars, they were there, they had passed by even some of them. So now those ideologies or those Madahib were there. So the books of the Sunnah, they were mentioning all of the hadith used by those Madahib, even if the narration wasn't authentic. To highlight to you, this is the reason why that madhab came to that opinion. This is the hadith. But then they would say, it's a weak hadith. So you can see the objective is different. That is more like an encyclopedia then. They are just mentioning to you all the hadith, even if some of them may not be completely authentic, but so that you are aware that these narrations exist. Some of the scholars, they use them. Some of them may have based their opinions upon them. So it's more like an encyclopedia that it will mention narrations that may not necessarily be absolutely authentic. But al-Bukhari Muslim, that wasn't their objective. For them, their objective was to purely put in what is authentic and that's it. But we're going to get to that in more detail later on. That is very brief. It doesn't really give the proper explanation. But we'll come to it later inshaAllah. Another type was Kutub Mukhtaliful Hadith wa Mushkilu. Books that spoke about complicated a hadith or a hadith that appear to be contradictory, appear to be contradictory hadith that have difficulty in combining them. Some of the scholars specified those hadith and put them into their books to clarify them. Because sometimes you may come across a narration and you just can't work out how that one works with this narration because they seem to be saying different things. So some of the scholars focused on that topic, putting together all of those narrations where there were apparent differences between the hadith and in the meanings of hadith and complicated to combine them. They would put them together and explain them. From these types of books you have اختلاف الحديث للإمام الشافعي He wrote a book on this type of topic. Similarly, Ali ibn al-Madini اختلاف الحديث وكذلك كتاب تأويل مختلف الحديث لابن قتيبة So there were several books on that type of writing also. وهناك الكثير من المصنفات في هذا القرن نكتفي بذكر القليل منها إشارة إلى الكثير there were, of course, many other writings and types during the 3rd century. What we've mentioned here is simply a pointer, a small indicator, a small example pointing uh, 
uh, to what occurred during that century. So now then, what's going to happen in this section coming up is a breakdown of some of those types of books. We mentioned there were the books of the chains of narration, where they would get a companion and all of the chains of narration and the hadith that go to that companion in a chapter. Then another companion in a chapter. First, we're going to look at those types of books. Then it's going to come to the authentic books, Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Then we're going to come to Ibn Majah, Tirmidhi and Nasa'i and Abu Dawood. So all of those books are going to be explained now bit by bit what they're about, why the authors wrote them. Because people may assume as a default you just think, well obviously if a scholar is writing a book of hadith, he's only going to put authentic hadith in there. Surely that's the objective. Well not always. There are different objectives and different reasons for putting books together. Some scholars... They even wrote books on purely fabricated hadith, on purpose. There are books by the title of Kitabul Mawdu'at, the book of fabricated hadith, written by one of the great imams of the past. Why? So that it's like an encyclopedia for you, for the believers, for the people who come, for the students, so that you can check in there, ah, this hadith is in there, it's proven because of this and that. It's a fabricated narration. So now you know. Somebody quotes to you some hadith and they say, you have to do this, you have to do that. You could go and check and you find it there. You see the reason why it's fabricated. Now you're upon knowledge why this narration is fabricated. So it's all knowledge. That book isn't there to be followed and implemented and practiced because they are fabricated hadith. But it's there as an encyclopedia. So scholars wrote books for different reasons. We'll briefly start having a look at the first type, which is the Masanid. Uh, and the Masanid, they were the books written upon the chains of narration to the companions. So, firstly then, in the Arabic, these books are known as Al-Masanid, which means like chains of narration. The singular for that is Al-Musnad. وَالْمُسْنَدُ لُغَةً مَرْتَفَعَ عَنِ الْأَرْضِ وَعَلَىٰ عَنِ سَطْحِ المسند in the Arabic language means something which is elevated, elevated above the ground, above the ceiling. Elevated. وَفِي الْإِسْطَلَاحِ أَطْلَقَهُ الْمُحَدِّثُونَ عَلَىٰ مَعْنِهِ In terms of our studies, then the musnad, the scholars of hadith, they used the term musnad for two things. And you'll come across this. You go to a mosque or you go somewhere, you see books, musnad of X, Y, and Z. Musnad of this, that, the other. So, what are these two meanings that the scholars used the term musnad for? Al-awwal al-hadith al-musnad. Qal al-khatib al-baghdadi. وَصْفُهُمْ الْحَدِيثِ بِأَنَّهُ مُسْنَدٍ يُرِيدُونَ أَنَّ إِسْنَادَهُ مُتَّصِلٌ بَيْنَ رَاوِيهِ وَبَيْنَ مَنْ أَسْنَدَ عَنْهُ إِلَّا أَنَّ أَكْثَرَ اسْتِعْمَالَهُمْ هَذِهِ الْعِبَارَةِ هُوَ فِيمَا أُسْنِدَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ خَاصَّةً وَاتِّصَالُ الْإِسْنَادِ فِيهِ يَكُونُ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْ رُوَاتِهِ سَمِعَهُ مِمَّنْ فَوْقَهُ حَتَّى يَنْتَهِ ذَلِكَ إِلَى آخِرِهِ وَإِنْ لَمْ يُبَيِّنْ فِيهِ السِّمَاعُ بَلِقْتَصَرَ عَلَى الْعَنْعَنَةِ Musnad 
has two meanings. One of them, the scholars intended by it, the musnad of the hadith, i.e. that the hadith has a connection in the chain of narration. That every narrator is connected to the one he's narrating from. And that one is connected to the next one he's narrating from. Because if you have a chain of narration with a gap in it, a gap in the chain of narration, then that chain of narration isn't connected. So for example now, I narrate from somebody, let's say for example, there's someone of 90 years old. I narrate from that person of 90 years old. He narrates from a sheikh who lived in the early 1900s. Possible? He's 90 years old now. Maybe when he was very young, he narrated from somebody in the 20s and the 30s. I couldn't have. So if I was now narrating a narration and I say, I narrate this from a sheikh who lived in the 1920s. Clearly between me and him, there's a gap. But if I narrate from that sheikh who's 90 years old now, and he narrates from that sheikh who lived in the 1920s, now it's connected because he clearly would have been alive at that time. But if I narrate straight from that sheikh in the 1920s as an example, then clearly there's a gap between me and him. Then this narration of mine isn't musnad. It's not connected like that then. So what the scholars mean is the musnad hadith, the ones that are connected. And typically, typically, they mean by it connected all the way to the Prophet. Connected from me to the narrator next. That narrator to the next narrator, to the next narrator. Connected all the way to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَعَلَى هَذَا الْمَعْنَى أَطْلَقَ بَعْضُ الْمُصَنِّفِينَ عَلَى كِتَابِهِ And some scholars when they called their books the book of Musnad X, Y, and Z, that's what they meant. That the narrations they are putting into this book are the connected ones. مِثْلُ الْجَامِعَ الصَّحِيحَ الْمُسْنَدْ Sahih al-Bukhari is called the Musnad. That is one of the names of Sahih al-Bukhari. And in fact, when we get to it, we'll realize that the name of Sahih al-Bukhari isn't just Sahih al-Bukhari. That's just the name that everybody knows now. The actual name of the book is a lot longer. And one of the words in that actual title is Al-Musnad. Because all of the hadith in Al-Bukhari are connected. Chains connected all the way to the Prophet So the book of Imam Al-Bukhari in that way is a Musnad book. And Musnad of Ad-Darimi for example, Musnad of Ibn Khuzayma, or rather the Sahih of Ibn Khuzayma and the Sahih of Ibn Hibban, these are all Musnad in terms of the Hadith. The second type of the meaning for Musnad, Al-Thani, because قُلْنَا أَنَّ الْمُحَدِّثِينَ أَطْلَقُوا الْمُسْنَدْ عَلَى مَعْنَيْنَ الثَّانِي كُتُبْ الْمَسَانِيدِ كُتُبْ الْمَسَانِيدِ وَهِيَ الَّتِي تُخَرِّجَ الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى أَسْمَاءِ الصَّحَابَةِ وَضَمْ أَحَدِيثِ كُلِّ وَاحِدٍ مِنَ الصَّحَابَةِ بَعْضُهَا إِلَى بَعْضٍ مِثْلُ مُسْنَدْ الْإِمَامْ أَحْمَدْ وَأَبِيَعْلَى الْمُوصَلِي The second is what we explained before. The Musnad, sometimes the scholars call their books the Musnad. And what they meant by it was what we mentioned before, every companion organized 
with all of the hadith that go through that companion in that chapter. The next companion, all of the hadith that are narrated that go through him in that chapter. That is another meaning of the word musnad. Now obviously those two are different. Because Al-Bukhari, Sahih Al-Bukhari is known as a musnad book. But not because of this reason. Sahih Al-Bukhari isn't organized per companion. When you read Sahih Al-Bukhari, it's not like that. It's upon chapters. Chapter of this, chapter of purification, chapter of prayer, chapter, chapter, chapter of different topics. It's not upon companions. So his book is known as the Musnad, not for this reason, for the first reason, which is that the hadith are all connected. This second type isn't, uh, uh, this second type is about the actual companions that the ahadith all running through a particular companion are mentioned under him. Then the next companion under him, all of his narrations. This is the other meaning for the word Musnad. And so sometimes when you come across a book known as the Musnad, it could be this, this type of meaning. Famous one is the Musnad. In fact, if you say, if you say, give me the Musnad, I want to borrow the Musnad from you tomorrow. If I say that, give me the Musnad, I want to borrow the Musnad from you tomorrow. There are many, so many books called Musnad, Musnad of Fulan, Musnad of Fulan. Which one do I want? Musnad al-Imam Ahmed. That is the meaning. Al-Asal in the Masanid in this way is the Musnad of al-Imam Ahmed. So that is one example. The Musnad of al-Imam Ahmed. If you see that book now printed, it's 50 volumes. 52 with the extras on it. 52 volumes. The Musnad of al-Imam Ahmed in one of the Tabaat. One of the prints, 52 volumes. It's a big book. So now then, this type of category of books, where it was about the companions and then all their narrations under them, how exactly did they used to organize them? Obviously we know per companion, but how was it organized beyond that? Three methods. One method was very simply to organize all of those companions in alphabetical order. So some of these books of, Masa, of the Musnad, the Masanid books, where they have each companion and his narrations, they are simply organized on alphabetical order. So the companions that names begin with Alif first, then Ba, then Ta, alphabetical order, all the companions, under each companion, all of those chains and narrations. So, لِلْعُلَمَا فِي ذَلِكَ ثَلَاثُ طُرُقٍ الأولى ترتيب أسماء الصحابة على حروف المعجم من أوائل الأسماء فيبدأ مثلا بأبي بن كعب ثم أسامة بن زيد ثم أنس بن مالك وهكذا إلى آخر الحروف So you begin with the Alif first أبي بن كعب أسامة أنس رضي الله عنهم like this in the alphabetical order The second method الثانية الترتيب على القبائل فيبدأ ببني هاشم ثم الأقرب إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في النسب ثم من يليهم The second method of doing it was actually upon the tribe, uh, uh, tribal sections. So they would begin with Bani Hashim, Bani Hashim first, then they would move on, so all of the companions from Bani Hashim, then the next tribe who were the closest to the Prophet ﷺ in lineage. Then the next tribe after that, who were the next closest in lineage. And so they would organize their book upon the tribes. 
and under each tribe, all of the companions from that tribe. That was a method. Third method, what could the third method be? We know they are collecting all the narrations per companion. In one method, they just list the companions in alphabetical order. In another method, they put all the companions per tribe together. What's another possible method of organizing all of these companions and their narrations under them? Seniority. Seniority. The third method, الثالثة, الترتيب على قدر سوابق الصحابة في الإسلام ومحله في الدين. They organized the companions, not alphabetically, not upon tribes, but upon the senior ones first, and then going along. The most senior first, and then going down in level as you go along. So for example, they would begin with the companions who were from the earliest to accept Islam, because they are senior to those who accepted Islam later. They would begin, for example, by the ten given the glad tidings of paradise that we mentioned before in our Sira studies. They would also begin with those who participated in the battle of Badr, and then those who were in the, the allegiance of Ridwan, the various senior roles and incidents that occurred one by one. فالترتيب على قدر سوابق الصحابة في الإسلام ومحله في الدين فيبدأ بالعشرة رضوان الله عليهم ثم المتقدمين المقدمين من أهل البدر ثم يليهم أهل بيعة الرضوان بالحديوية So one by one in terms of the seniority of the companions So that is those types of books Just to round off today then a few examples of the most important uh, books that were written in this type of way, of the companions and their narrations under them. The most important, Aham Kutub al-Masanid. One example is, and we'll just mention a list of some of the examples, Musnad of Abi Dawood Sulaiman ibn Dawood al-Tayalisi who died in 204 Hijri. Also, Musnad of Abi Bakr ibn Abi Shayba, who died in 235 Hijri. And that is different to the Musannaf. He has a book called the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba. That's a different book. He has this one, which is the Musnad of Ibn Abi Shayba. Uh, also from the examples, like we mentioned, the famous one, of course, the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad. Also, from some of the examples that can be mentioned, the Musnad of Ahmad ibn Ibrahim al-Dawraqi, died in 246 Hijri. Uh, you could also mention the Musnad of Ahmad ibn Ibrahim al-Tarsusi al-Khuza'i, died in 273 Hijri. Uh, the Musnad of Al-Harith Ibn Muhammad Ibn Abi Usamah Al-Tamimi Al-Baghdadi uh, And that one is actually lost It is not available But it's something which is evidenced That was written uh, And that is in 282 Hijri that he died You have also the famous Musnad of Abi Ya'la Musnad of Abu Ya'la And that is available and printed uh, you have also the Musnad of Abi Sa'id al-Haytham uh, al-Shashi, who died in 335 Hijri. Some of that has been printed. So these are just a few examples there. 
There are other types too, but that is a few examples of some of the famous books of Masanid. Just as an extra point here, there are some other books that are upon that same method of organizing under each companion, but they may not necessarily be termed or named or titled as Musnad. Examples, famous ones are the Al-Mu'jam uh, Al-Kabir Lit-Tabarani, that is organized upon companions' names, but it's not entitled as a Musnad. Al-Ilal of Al-Darqutni, also upon companions' names, but not titled as a Musnad. وهناك كتب ذكرت في عداد كتب المسانيد وهي ليست مرتبة على المسانيد وعلى الأبواب ولا على الأبواب مثل مسند علي ابن الجعد There are some books which are called مسند on the other hand but they are not actually organized upon companions like the example of مسند علي ابن الجعد So that is a brief background into the مسانيد What we're going to start with next week then is some examples, and the famous example obviously we'll go through is the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad. Have a brief look at the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad, uh, how he wrote that book, what types of hadith he put in there, how many hadith he put in there, a various, uh, a look at uh, various things regarding the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad. Once we finish that, we move on to Sahih Al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And then move along from that, insha'Allah ta'ala. So that's where we'll round off on today then. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.